are um, going to look at this passage in a little more detail um, from the book of Jonah, chapter 2. And we're actually doing that because, not because it's all about water and drowning and stuff, it sort of fits with the baptism, uh, but it's actually the next passage in our series that we started a couple of weeks ago called Running from Mercy. And it's a series through the entire book of Jonah, which you may be familiar with, even if you're not from a church background, you may have heard at Sunday school or something, Jonah and the whale, you know, Jonah and the big fish. That's the bit that everybody remembers. And that's the bit that we're actually coming to in this story just now. Uh, for those of you who need a bit of uh, background to get us um, linked into where we are, Jonah is a prophet from Israel, and he was called by God to go to the great city of Nineveh, one of the big cities in Assyria, and he was called to go and bring God's message of mercy to that city. The city, we were reading a couple of weeks ago, was doing evil things. But not only that, it was living in evil times. There was bad stuff, there was distress from among the people. And so God cared about that. He wanted to do something about that. And so he sent this prophet Jonah to go and bring the message of God's mercy to that city. But as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jonah ran from mercy. Rather than obeying God, he decided he didn't want to bring that message to the city, and so he got on a boat, we read, and tried to flee, tried to outrun God, go in the opposite direction. Nineveh was over here, Jonah wanted to go over there. And as we read a couple of weeks ago in Jonah chapter 1, he tried to flee, but the storm, only a few miles off of the coast, got, got into a, a storm in the boat, uh, the boat itself was threatened. It was a desperate situation. All were going to die on the boat because God was angry with Jonah. And Jonah came to himself and he said to the sailors, eventually, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And as soon as they did that, there was great calm and peace. And the boat and all that were in it were saved. And so that's where we left the story a couple of weeks ago. And Jonah, uh, if you were finishing the story there at the end of chapter 1, would be missing, presumed dead. But that's not the end of the story, as we'll see in a few moments. Jonah himself expected to be dead, but it says that God was not done with him yet. In verse 17, right at the beginning of our little passage, the end of chapter 1, this is, it says, God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Just when Jonah thought he was having a bad day, this Massive fish, we don't know what type of fish it was, what species it was, but this fish came along and swallowed Jonah. This is the stuff of nightmares. This terrifying storm has been whipped up. He got hurled into the dark seas, the swirling waters around him, and somewhere or other, this sea creature appeared and swallowed him whole. I don't know if it's worse to die by drowning or worse to die by being chewed slowly by a great fish. But anyway, we see here in the rest of chapter 2, Jonah sitting in this great fish. His heart was pounding. He was fighting for air. His clothes clung to him like a net. He expected to die at any moment as the fish descended deeper and deeper. But a few seconds passed by and he was still breathing. And then a few minutes went by and he was expecting to be crushed to pieces and yet he was still going. And then the minutes turned into hours and the hours turned into many hours and days and he still was alive. Right down there in the belly of the fish could see nothing but darkness 
could perhaps hear noises around him. The smell would have been quite strong, you'd imagine. But he was still alive, still breathing. And it tells us he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It's like he was waiting for a death sentence. So what did he do in the belly of the fish? What would you do if you were ever to find yourself in that most unusual position? Well, it tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. See, while Jonah still had air in his lungs, oxygen in his brain, he was able to think and reflect. And it says in verse 2, he called out to the Lord from the belly of Sheol, that is the belly of death, I cried. You see, the first point I want to teach this evening, to make it as clear as I can, number one, is that God hears prayers from the darkness. God hears prayers from the darkness. There was Jonah sitting in the fish, and yet he cries out to God. We get in this prayer that we've just read, this psalm, if you like, a a description of the inner thought life of Jonah, what was really going on in his heart at that stage. It's a very interesting study. Describes what it was like for him. He says in verse 3, I was into the deep. Your flood surrounded me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. In verse 5, the waters closed in to take my life. Literally, in the original Hebrew, that says, water enveloped me up to my throat. This is all poetic language that he used to describe the fact that he thought he was a dead man. He was a goner. There is no way out of this one. He thought, I am up to my neck in it. There is, he says, there's seaweed around my head. I've gone down to the root of the mountains, to the place where the bars closed over me forever. There he was, deep, trapped, thinking to himself, this is how I'm going to meet my end, in this dark and dingy prison at the bottom of the ocean. I wonder what's going through your mind as you hear this description. Maybe you're thinking about a scene from Moby Dick or Jaws or one of these kind of sea creature stories. But maybe you can relate a little more personally to what Jonah's talking about than that. Maybe you have been at some point in your life in a situation where you thought your life was about to end imminently. Either in a car crash or an illness that you had or some other situation where your life seemed to flash before your eyes and you thought, that's it, I'm a goner. There is no way out from this situation. Maybe for others in this room, that sense of drowning, that sense of darkness is a metaphor for your experience right now. You're not literally underwater or literally drowning or literally in darkness, but it feels like that in your life. Some circumstance or other in your life, some relational breakdown, perhaps something in your past, some controlling addiction or behavior. You just feel like you are drowning, just like the Bible describes. The life is being sucked out of you. Maybe you feel as if it is just like I can't breathe. There is nothing surrounding me except darkness. Maybe if you're a visitor here this evening and you come here and you listen to me talk like this, 
You think to yourself, my goodness me, Christians are a bit depressing, aren't they? They go on about this sin, this darkness, and I'm not trying to be depressing, folks, but I'm trying to be realistic, I'm trying to reflect the realism of the Bible. It doesn't mess around, and I love it for that reason. You know, it doesn't matter if you're a church person or a visitor or if you've brought up in the church from very early days. None of us can avoid living life in the fallen world that we're in. And we will experience this sense of darkness at some point in our lives and in various degrees. But it will be there. And my intention is not to depress you this evening with all this talk. My intention is to be real. My intention is to be honest. When you read this account of Jonah, you might think to yourself, yes, that is me. That is exactly how I feel. But the point is this. I said it a few moments ago. God hears prayers from the darkness. That's what Jonah was doing down in the belly of the fish. But the whole point with this is not to depress you and to tell you how bad things can be and look at Jonah and how bad it was for him. But the point was, this is a prayer of thanksgiving. Not only is he describing how he felt, but he's saying to people, to us, I found a way out. This is how it was for me. I thought I was a goner, says Jonah. I thought I had blown it. But then I called out from the darkness and God heard me. Because God hears prayers from the darkness. And the great thing, the thing I love, is that the same God who heard Jonah's cry back in the 700 BC kind of time, that same God will listen to us when we cry out to him in the darkness. Look at him. He says, I called to the Lord out of my distress. What? And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that is out on the verge of death. And you heard my cry, he says in verse 2. See, Jonah found out this to be true. It wasn't just an idea he believed. He cried to God in the darkness and God heard his prayer. What about you? I wonder if you have ever thought about crying out to God in whatever sense of distress and darkness you find yourself in. Have you prayed to him from the darkness at any time in your life? Have you ever cried out to God, help me, save me, I, I'm drowning. My life is a, a mess, I'm, I'm a goner. You see why, well, Jonah still had air in his lungs and blood in his veins. He cried out to God from the darkness and God heard him. Let me be clear, folks. Don't confuse darkness with death. Just because you may find yourself in darkness doesn't mean that you have no air in your lungs to cry out to God. No matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situations, no matter what your experiences are, the things you've done, the things that have been done to you, as long as you have air in your lungs, God hears the prayers from the darkness 
Cry out to him. God hears prayers from the darkness. He doesn't need to hear a million prayers before he answers one. Join a prayer to prayer and God heard. It was a one-to-one relationship. Do not think you have to start praying now and maybe in 10 years' time, he'll hear you. God hears prayers prayed from the darkness. And don't think when God hears your prayers, he just parks the information. You know, sometimes we have those conversations where someone's sort of talking at you and you're sort of nodding your head and saying, yeah, mm -hmm." but actually you're not really listening. It's just sort of information you manage to deflect off of yourself. I, I do it from time to time. God isn't like that. When he hears you, his hearing implies action. He doesn't just hear something and park it. He hears you and does something about it. That's why I love that statement at the end of the prayer, salvation belongs to the Lord. It's like salvation is God's middle name. It's what he does. And so when you cry out to God from the darkness, you're not crying to someone who will park that information. You're crying to someone whose business it is to save people. So point number one, God hears prayers from the darkness. But point number two, God provides salvation for those in darkness. We've seen from the Bible text so far that Jonah is literally and metaphorically as low as you can go. But here is the turning point. Here is the good news. Here is the reason why we can be real and honest with our struggles and open about our common experience of darkness in and distress. Look down at verse 6, the second half. It says this, Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. Who needs that right now? Who needs that testimony in their life right now? You brought me up from the pit. You rescued me. You answered my cry. You reached down and you lifted me up. That was Jonah's experience. That's why he wrote this psalm, this prayer. And it says God saved him by providing this great fish to swallow him up. And then it spat him back out again at the end of verse 10 onto dry land. The fish wasn't intended to kill him. The darkness was actually part of God's rescue plan. You know, salvation is a word that Christians use very frequently. Yeah, you sometimes hear them talking about being saved or receiving salvation. And we love using that term, but we don't always know and understand maybe the full implications of that when we use it. What does it mean to be saved? What does salvation mean? Well, salvation is, can be described as a sort of a catch-all phrase, like an umbrella term to describe this amazing concept, this beautiful picture that the Bible presents to us. Let me explain roughly what I mean. Salvation, according to the Bible, is rescue, where God removes his people from harm. Salvation, according to the Bible, is delivery, where God brings his people through trials to a place of peace and rest. Salvation in the Bible is freedom from slavery to something or someone. 
Salvation in the Bible is healing from disease and from disordered lives to lives that are complete, lives that are made whole. Salvation is reconciliation, going from being an enemy of God to being his friends. It is being cleansed, being unclean, going from unclean and dirty to becoming perfectly clean. Salvation is forgiveness. Salvation is adoption. Salvation is being born again, being justified. All of these terms are summed up in this beautiful, expansive picture that the Bible gives us of salvation. It is so much more than a deal you do with God to get to heaven. It is that. Thank God for that. But the picture of salvation is like a diamond in the Bible with so many facets of beauty. The great thing with the salvation that the Bible talks about in all of its amazing, multicolored, multi-layered depths of meaning The great thing is that that salvation that Jonah experienced is available to us today. It is something you can access now and it produces real and lifelong change. And Paul's testimony is one of countless thousands and millions of people who have experienced that transforming power themselves. But how do we know that this salvation that Jonah experienced is available to us? How do we know this isn't just sort of a private memoir that he wrote one day? How do we know that this is something that we can actually enter into and access ourselves? Because if we can't, if this is just a story about some prophet hundreds and hundreds of years ago, then it has no power for us. It has no power to save us or to point us to salvation as the Bible understands it. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was debating with some religious leaders. They were trying to catch him out. They were asking for miraculous signs, more miraculous signs to prove that he was the Messiah. The reality was that no amount of miraculous signs were going to change their hearts and minds. There are just some people, it seems, that don't want to believe, no matter how much evidence they see. But anyway, Jesus was talking to these religious leaders, and he said to them, he knew what was in their hearts. He said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man, that was himself, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What's that about? What's Jesus on about? Sign of Jonah? Jesus was pointing to this little Old Testament book and he was saying to those religious leaders that were questioning that day, what happened to Jonah is a sign of what will happen to me very soon. That's what he was saying. Jonah was foreshadowing what I am about to do, said Jesus. Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. I'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I'll go down to greater depths than Jonah experienced, says Jesus. Jonah experienced the darkness of storms and waters. I'm going to experience a deeper darkness yet, said Jesus. 
Jonah felt like he was being cut off from God. I truly will be cut off from God one day, very soon. Jonah came close to death and survived. But I shall go through death myself. We see this play out as Jesus died on the cross. He cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he got no answer in return. No answer from the darkness. He was separated from God in ways that Jonah could not know. (coughs) Jesus went down into the pit. He went down into the belly of Sheol. Jesus went where we should go. He went where Jonah should have gone. Jonah rejected and ran away from God. We reject and run away from God through our sin and through our fallenness. We deserve to go down into the pit to be truly cut off from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, came to save us. He came to join us down in the darkness. He went further down into our darkness and he took it upon himself. This is the good news of the Christian faith. We don't have an abstract God. We have someone who stepped down into our darkness and took it upon himself and did something about it. Jesus is greater than Jonah because Jesus rose from the darkness of the grave on the third day. And I love this bit. You know, the first person that he appeared to wasn't Peter wasn't John, wasn't even his own earthly mother. The first person that Jesus appeared to on the third day was Mary Magdalene. She was a woman with a history. She was someone who knew all about darkness and distress. The Bible tells us that she was possessed by evil spirits before Jesus healed her. And she was the first one to see Jesus alive. And it says he spoke her name and she clung to his feet. This is how we know that Jonah isn't just an interesting story because it describes a salvation available to us. Jesus went through deeper darkness than anyone will know so that we can cry out to him he calls you by your name and he comes to your rescue and you can say save me rescue me help me up not into the great dark blue but you say that into the ear of a God who is merciful and has done something to rescue you we've seen that God hears prayers from the darkness. We've seen that God provides salvation from the darkness. And finally, I just want to sew everything together by hoping to help you to understand the difference that it will make. If you really understand Jesus, what he did for you, if you truly cling to him when he calls your name, then it will make a profound difference in your life. Three ways that we see in the text. 
Number one, you will see that your darkness will be transformed. You can think of it as seeing in the dark when you understand what Christ did. Because he will help you to see your own situation, your own experience of darkness and distress. He will help you to see that in a different light when you see what Christ has done. As deep and as dark as your situation may be, you will know and see that that is not final. That is not going to fully and finally define you because strength and life and air for your lungs is available from Jesus if you call out to him. So the first difference it makes is your darkness will be transformed. The second difference is it, it will make, we see in verse 9, you will give your life in service to God. Look down at verse 9. He says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, God. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is no sense of grudging religious works. Or guess I'd better just turn up to church on Sunday and guess I'd better throw a few quid into the... That's not what he's getting at. When he sees and receives and experiences the salvation that God has for him, he can do nothing else but give his entire life back to God. And that's the difference it will make in your life. You will be continually amazed and thankful at what God has done and you will say, I will give myself to you. You held nothing back from me. Why should I hold anything back from you? You will say to God, not my will, but yours be done. And see, when you get that, when you understand that and receive that, then that will make a massive shift in the way you live your life from the very deepest part of your being outwards, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, the relationships you invest in, all areas of your life will be transformed in service to God. That's how you know you've understood the gospel. Darkness will be transformed. Your life will be given in service to God. Thirdly and finally, you will have peace like a river. Such peace you will have enormous ability to cope with darkness and depths of sorrow in yourself and in other people when you understand the rescue that Christ has for you. We're about to sing in a few moments time a song called When Peace Like a River attendeth my soul. And it says this, when sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot, thou, God, has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It's a song, a hymn written by a man called Horatio Spafford. I don't know what Bible texts inspired him to write this, but it's very, very close to what Jonah is talking about. Sea billows roll. It is well with my soul. Maybe on first hearing of that line, it sounds a bit trivial, a bit twee, the kind of thing that Christians sing when they don't really mean it. But if anyone knew darkness and distress, it was Horatio Spafford. 
In fact, his life was one of tragedy upon tragedy. He was an American lawyer from Chicago. He was a Sunday school teacher in his local church. Horatio Spafford was on the board of a local Christian seminary. And in 1873, he and his family were scheduled to travel to Europe from the United States. And the story goes that Spafford himself was delayed by business at home, and so he sent his wife and his four daughters to travel on ahead of him on the French liner called Ville de Havre. But the ship collided with an English vessel called the Lochern on November the 22nd and sank within 12 minutes. Spafford's wife was saved, but his four daughters perished. After arriving in Wales, Mrs. Spafford cabled her, her husband with these two words, saved, alone. Spafford then left by boat to meet her. And near the tragic scene on the high seas, where the boat that his daughters was on went down, Spafford wrote the words of this hymn. How is it that Horatio Spafford, who knew such darkness and distress, could say that he had peace like a river? Well, the answer he gives us is in the second verse. He says this, Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. It's when Spafford looked at the rescue that Jesus provided and the cost to his life that he was able to see in the darkness and have peace like a river. Do you want that peace? Do you need rescue and salvation? Then call out to the God who hears and who does something about it. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you are not immune from our darkness and our distress. We thank you that in Jesus you came down into that darkness and beyond so that we might know your rescue. We deserve, all of us, to be cut off from you because of our sin. But because of Jesus, we can be saved. Help us to trust more and more deeply in him, even if we are trusting in him tonight for the first time. May we know more of that peace like a river. May we give our lives in service to the one who gave his life for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.